Hey everybody, I'm your host, Justin Latomsky. Welcome to the B-Side Brands. Anyways, officially, welcome to the show, Kale. Oh, hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, <laughs> So things have been good. Busy for you, lovely. I guess, eh? My, yeah, very, very busy. It, it hasn't slowed down, man. It's, well, it's healthcare. It, it can't slow down really. It's not going like to slow this. down. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing that's always going to be consistent, it's everybody's health. Yeah. Especially now. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Right on. So I guess well, tell everybody what you are. So you're an occupational therapist, which for a lot of people, nobody knows what the fuck that is. <laughs> so I, I think that the best way that we can start off is what is occupational therapy? Like, wh- what is it? How is it like? Because when I hear occupational therapy, well, the first time I ever heard it, I thought it was like going into offices, like occupations and like yeah. giving them counseling because they were dealing with too much stress at work. I was like, oh, you're th- you're giving them therapy at work about work i was like that makes sense but it's not what it is and Mm -hmm. uh when you tell me what it is i i now associate it with physio so now what is occupational therapy how (laughs) is it different from physio this is a million dollar question that i feel like everybody in my profession struggles with um it's it's amazing okay so that i mean there's a textbook definition but i'll give you the the back pocket definition which is my uh my speech to my clients essentially and ot really comes down to um it helps people get back to doing what they find meaningful so you can imagine the list of questions you probably have after that vague definition. It's, it's right? pretty vague. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think um, it's better described uh, through the area of practice that you're in, like what, where you are, um, where you're located. So personally, I do community mental health um, and I do return to work, uh, private practice. And I, I would say I loosely do return to work and mental health, a bit of both actually, um, at my third job, which we'll get into all those in a second, but um, it's best described through the area of practice. So um, really what I do, I more or less, I don't want to say I specialize because technically we can't say we specialize either, but uh, um, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, it essentially comes down to me helping people get back to work, which is one very small aspect of someone's life. So that's why it's hard to define our profession because you can only imagine like breadth and not much depth. Like we know a lot about a lot or sorry, we know a little about a lot. We don't know a lot about a lot when we first start. Um, So some of my colleagues work in discharge planning with the hospitals. Uh, They'll help people get home safely after it could be an elective surgery or it could be an emergency or whatever it happens to be. Um, and any one of these, just let me know if you want me to talk about more of them. I'll just keep going though. Well, um, I, maybe you're leading up to there and I don't mean to cut you off, but like, so how is that different from physio? Cause in my mind, a physiotherapist would help you sort of rehabilitate whatever happens to be wrong, whether it's, you know, broken shoulder or whatever it happens to be. So you can then return to your daily life and daily activities. How is that any different? Usually the physios are intervening through, um, 
like physical stuff. They deal with physical issues, uh, physiotherapist, right? Um, so, you know, you go to, think of all the things you could possibly go to a physio for, right? My knee is hurting, therefore I need help getting my knee back to normal or whatever it happens to be. Um, OTs, again, like think breadth, breadth, breadth. So yeah, I might take a look at someone's knee. Yeah, I might take a look at someone's shoulder. I'm probably also not going to do the comprehensive and, and, you know, deep specific types of rehab that someone needs for those things because I'm not a physio. That's what you go to a physio for. Uh, for me, I would, yeah, consider your knee and might do a little bit of rehab on your knee, but then also think about your knee in the broader context of your life. So what is your knee preventing you from doing? Or in some cases, if, if you're rehabbed to a great point, what is your knee helping you do, right? Um, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think of my clients on many different levels, and I shouldn't say like that differs from physio. They'll obviously think of these things too, but they're not going to necessarily assess and intervene directly on all those areas like um, returning to work or uh, making sure you can get around your home uh, or mental health or um, going out in the community and being able to do things in the community like grocery shop and kind of do the life tasks that you need to do, right? Hmm. So the big definitive like uh, piece for me anyway, and it might vary from OT to OT, but I would say as a whole, our profession probably agrees that we deal with the more life stuff, like the more lifestyle stuff, and the physios end up doing more of the uh, musculoskeletal rehab type stuff. Um, and I'm oversimplifying both of our professions, but you know what no, I mean? No, 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 that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, and so you mentioned there's different sort of areas of focus in occupational therapy and mental health is interesting because I think that's, that's probably the bigger differentiator between physio and occupational therapy is you'll deal with yes. mental health where obviously physio wouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. what are the different areas of focus for occupational therapy? My God, that list goes on and <laughs> Too on. Too many? <laughs> oh, so many, so many. Um, but yeah, if, uh, if I'm going to keep it more or less brief, and I'm laughing because it's hard for me to keep it brief, but um, hospitals probably like the, the most popular area right off the bat. Um, and there's many different, you know, areas within the hospital too that you can go into. Like there's acute care, which is uh, thing, like acute injuries, acute concerns that people have. Uh, are you familiar with like what acute means? Small, yeah, yeah, small, <laughs> temporary, temporary. I think of acute triangles have small angles, yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally actually. You sound like a fucking idiot, <laughs> but this most I feel like most people like they've never really heard of what acute care is. You're like, I'm going to the hospital, man. I got you know, I gotta go to the ER, right? Like, you don't, you're not saying, like, I gotta go to an acute care facility, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so these guys, like, uh, OTs are working in the hospitals. Uh, they'll do more or less like discharge planning if it's in an acute care context. Uh, that's actually where I was in too before I jumped into uh, community mental health with my company, Sarah Riel, um, and far before I jumped into private practice with my other two companies. But um, so there's acute care and there's like rehab in the hospital and there's like geriatric rehab if you want to work with like elderly people. Um, let me see what else there's tons in the hospital and it can be even unit specific. So you'll have like, you know, you have a cardiology unit. Well, you have an OT that works in cardiology. So they would probably still call themselves an acute care OT. I'm not really sure. Uh, but you know, you can only imagine like the amount of, the amount of OTs that work in a hospital in all these different areas. Think of a doctor, right? On any one of those very different units. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and your areas of focus, you said, was return to work and mental health. Yeah, I would say those are like, I mean, that chalks it up to private practice for me. But I okay. would say I I'm really, really um, I feel proficient and capable in return to work and mental health the most, I would say, out of everything else. OK, gotcha. Yeah. So how do you even like how do you even hear about it and how do you figure out that this is the career path that you want to go into? Um, for those that haven't figured this out yet, like you and I are brothers. I know you fairly well. <laughs> and when you started university, I remember I think you wanted to go into um, psychology. Like you're looking at going into psychology. How did you um, sort of make that change and figure out OT was a thing and that that's something that you wanted to go into? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's funny because it circles right back to the, the first piece that we we're talking about. It comes down to breadth. Um, I was actually when I was in university, I got fascinated with uh, um, like social policy and like uh, things like like big, like uh, what do you call them? Like macro level, big decisions that are made up here and how that affects like the health of a population. Mm-hmm. That's why I started to get fascinated and especially in uh, some of the courses like um, global political economy and um, health psychology and, uh, health sociology and all these different things like that. Uh, so when I was trying to find out that my, re- my main goal was I want to help people. So how do I help people? What's the most efficient way, as funny as it sounds to help people? Well, I started thinking higher like legislation and, and messing with policy and things like that. And, uh, I went and saw a career counselor and she was like, if you have all these interests and I started like did the all the inventories and things, all the little assessment tools and everything. And uh, she's like, you have all these interests and you're telling me you have all these interests. Like, why not something like maybe social work or occupational therapy? Or um, there was one more thing that she mentioned and I'll, it'll come to me later. But um, so I asked the questions like, I know what social work is, but what is occupational therapy? And it allowed me to encapsulate like the physical and the mental health piece in addition to everything else, like social, which is where we find our policy and things like that. Um, oh man, you can go down the rabbit hole with all the different forms of wellness, someone's financial wellness, someone's relational wellness, their intellectual wellness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And OT, I mean, one look at a classic OT initial assessment form in most settings, you see all those things start to pop out. Um, we talk about those things with our clients because they impact our clients daily life. They, they impact the clients activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living, which are the things that we assess and intervene with as occupational therapists. Yeah. So that's what it came down to was breadth. It's like, how can I help my client? How can I be, you know, quote unquote, the one stop shop for my client, not to insult other professions. Cause obviously there's a time and a place but how can I help my client in a in an incredibly intimate way from a health perspective on a v- like various, various uh, dimensions of their health and wellness? And that's how I found OT. It fit the mold the best for me. Awesome. So the first time mm-hmm. you ever heard of OT was when you talked to a counselor? Yeah. Really? That's yeah. awesome. So you figured it out. Mm-hmm. What, what was that? Like your first, second, third year in university? What? I think, yeah, third year, I think. Really? Third year? Third year? Yeah. Holy smokes. And thankfully, I mean, a lot of we talked about, yeah, like I wanted to do psychology. I, I wanted to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist, actually. And um, I was trying to think of like, you know, what I could do that I, I shouldn't say piqued my interest more, but how I could help my client more. So, yeah, like it's I didn't know about any of these things. And all of a sudden, like the career counselor kind of, you know, blew my head wide open. And that was that. 
That's insane. It goes to show you how important it is, like taking those electives and stuff in university, right? Like I remember going into university just because that was the natural next step of things to do. And same as you, I went in with like a different game plan. Like I knew what I wanted to do when I went into the university and like two, two and a half years in, I didn't want to do that at all anymore and made that switch right into marketing and branding. So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how that happens, but at least I knew about marketing and branding beforehand. It's crazy that you found out about the career you're in three years into university. (laughs) Like that's nuts. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And scary. Like I, I'm sure there's like listeners that are going to be hearing this and they'll be like, especially like if you get any young listeners, I mean, they're probably just like, Oh my God, like what a risky move though. (laughs) Like you're in your third year and you're like, Oh, now I know what I want to do. Right. But that was also the benefit for me. And I always saw electives as kind of being a waste of money and a waste of time up until, yeah. (laughs) And up until I realized that, uh, they all ended up playing into my career, (laughs) Mm. the path that I ended up choosing because I used a lot of that stuff. Well, for you, absolutely, because occupational therapy sounds like it is a job of variety. Like, that's what it yeah. is, right? Like you said, breadth, breadth right? And yeah. having different electives of different courses is going to feed into that. For me, when I started in film studies and then jumping over to uh, marketing in the business world, it was like a lot of these courses I took in film studies are fucking useless right now. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. And and by the time I made the mental change that that's what I wanted to do, I started just phoning in those those courses, which I kind of still mm-hmm. feel bad about because, I mean, you're talking like $500 <laughs> a course and I'm sitting there getting Ds. I'm like, I really don't care. Like, just give me a credit let me get out because I'm not doing film studies anymore. I want to do like business admin and go, go get a marketing degree. Right. So exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where I looked at my credits when I was all done and I had like probably a handful electives more than I needed. If I would have just gone right into like the, the business program right off the hop. Yeah. Like it was probably like six electives or something like that more than I needed and all things that wouldn't necessarily help me in, uh, in, in my career. Like it was like, Oh, the history of science, science fiction and, and David <laughs> Cronenberg's films is like, who gives a shit? That's not going to help me in my career right now. So it was a waste, but it was a lot of fun. Whatever. It, it allowed you to kind of figure out what you want to do. So I don't exactly. Know and that also being said, I think I'm, I'm lucky to feel this way. Honestly, I'm, I'm well aware that there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time and a lot of money going through, you know, bullshit courses here and there or courses that it, they think are going to be helpful in the beginning that end up not helping them at all in their career or their degree. Right. So, yeah, I'm well aware I'm lucky <laughs> in that <laughs> regard. So like you've already mentioned, like you work for three different uh, companies, three different practices, right? Um, yeah. Are you, so I got to understand sort of the industry and the layout. So you, are you technically employed by all three of them or are you sort of your own employed, like you're a private contractor that's being paid by them? Like how does, how does that kind of work? Totally. This is the most com, uh, complicated thing when I'm talking to uh, the outgoing um, master of occupational therapy students, the MOT students, you'll hear me use that acronym a few times, uh, master of occupational therapy students. But uh, so when I'm talking to them, I describe it like this. And I think it's easiest for our listeners to to figure out the two domains in healthcare, um, And I'm specifically talking about health, the healthcare industry. There's the public domain and there's a private domain. Uh, the public domain is everything that is publicly funded. So think of all the things that you've needed on a, on a, in a, in a, uh, for your health um, and think of all the times you didn't pay for those things. Well, that all that stuff is public funded, right? 
So that's your domain, like your hospitals. That's where a lot of OTs work. Again, like I said, your community agencies, a lot of those are, are publicly funded as well. That's like your, you know, your St. Amants or OTs working in schools or community mental health facilities like Sarah Riel, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, so all those things, does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Other side of things um, is the private side, the privately funded side. Um, so you can only imagine you go see a chiropractor and you pay out of pocket for that chiro. Um, you, you may have third party insurance, whatever, but regardless, the government isn't paying for it. Um, so the private side would be where my two jobs, uh, one with Apex Therapy Services and the other with Harmony Chiropractic. Um, I'm a, I'm a subcontracted occupational therapist to both of those companies simultaneously. Okay. Now, if I was an employee of either of those companies, just the way contracts are, I might not be able to be an employee of both those private companies. Um, very different on the public side. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, so in my private context, I'm a subcontracted OT, meaning I run my own show. I'm a sole proprietor who has partnered with both of those companies to accept referrals to see clients. Gotcha. Make sense? Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. Good. Awesome. So how did you, how did, so let's look at Harmony for, uh, for instance, how do you get the jobs, I guess, or I guess to get the, get the subcontract work. Like I can't imagine and maybe it is, but I can't imagine it's the same as like every average Joe kind of job where you see a posting on indeed, you throw a resume at it and they interview a, like a thousand candidates. Like how does it, <laughs> like, were you headhunted or like, how's it work? Uh, you know, a bit of both. Um, uh, this is a, this is a complicated question that even, yeah, the MOT students ask me this a lot too. Uh, you know, how do you find work? How do you find private practice work is usually the, the big question because you're right. The public side of things usually, yeah, there's like, you know, 50 applications for one position to work in a hospital or with an agency or whatever it happens to be. Um, and the private world usually isn't like that. So, um, I think there's two reasons for that. Um, how, uh, how I was found, um, uh, sorry, not how I was found, how I found them was when I kind of knew I wanted to get into return to work and, um, mental health, but from a counseling perspective, like, uh, having a counseling session with somebody, um, I knew I'd kind of inherently have to start looking for private companies just because a lot of that work doesn't exist in the public realm. And, um, I can answer those uh, like questions that may stem from that in a second, but for the most part, um, that's why I got into private practice. That's what I was looking for. Um, so to do the work, I started to like look at uh, different companies that did that kind of work and employed OTs that do that kind of work. Um, and I honestly just started talking to people, just started calling up the companies, talking to the private practice managers, talking with um, uh, uh, some of my, uh, not coworkers, colleagues, sorry, colleagues who are already in those jobs working in different private companies. And I want to know what it's like, like want to know what it's like to do the work, um, uh, what the clients are like, how, how pay works, because like, is it fee for service? Is it a monthly paycheck? How does this work? Mm -hmm. Uh, what do I need in terms of equipment to, to run my own show? And you know, that comes from the college or some things that we have to have to maintain people's like um, privacy of health information and things like that. 
Um, but there's also, you know, physical equipment you need, like goniometers and dynamometers and all these fun assessment tools and whatnot. So um, it came down to talking, just talking with people, understanding what companies I could see myself working for, and then talking to the manager at that company. So how I found Apex Therapy Services, um, Russell Dick is their manager and uh, sorry, is their owner. And he's also the kind of the inherent manager of the team and um, helps us answer clinical questions, but also does things like administrative work for us and gathers referrals and all that kind of stuff, markets on our behalf. Um, and again, how I kind of found them was uh, talking and, and talking with Russ eventually, and then eventually meeting with Russ a few times to see if, um, at, and very informally, by the way, like at a restaurant, just having a coffee mm-hmm. and chatting um, before we did any kind of interviews or anything like that. Um, in the case of Russ, I mean, he might say he interviewed me, <laughs> but I would say we just had a conversation. Like, it Wait, was, Did you know he yeah. was hiring? Like, did you know Apex was hiring or was this just something that he, he was just building his team and you were just networking and he just wanted you as part of the team? Oh man. Uh, so two things, I guess, like he actually started, like there was a job posting. Um, okay. Which I start with here. Two years before I started working for Apex, I knew I wanted to get into private practice. And that's when I started to do my research and my networking and things like that. Um, So I met with Russ uh, almost a year and a half before I actually started at Apex, maybe a year before I started at Apex. And we talked about uh, at the time there was a job posting and uh, we talked about that job posting. And then um, some things happened in my personal life and I had to take some time away from OT and go do some things for myself. Uh, and in that time period, I went and traveled, did a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, that job posting was taken down. The position was filled. But I still came knocking on Russ's door after the fact. I kind of knew he was interested in having me work for him. But he also knew I wasn't ready just given the personal stuff that started to pop up in my life at that time. I was honest with him about that stuff. Um, so when I was ready to take that jump and get back into OT again and kind of like, you know, Uh, get into private practice. I came knocking on his door. We had a really brief meeting and I signed the contract, I think within days. Really? Nice. It was super quick. But it was, you know, you can see, he's like, he also knows me. He trusts me with his his practice. I've been interested for, you know, over a year to work for him. And then all of a sudden the time is right. So uh, we made it happen together, essentially. Yeah, that makes sense. For Harmony, was was it like a posting that you saw? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was, um, so we struck right when the iron was hot, like pretty much right from the get-go. Um, Dr. Munn needed someone. She's their lead chiropractor, Dr. Stephanie Munn, um, and the owner of the clinic. Um, so she had that posting up, and I took one look at that, and I was like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> I could do this. I could do it well, and I think that I could advance the, the, the profession as a whole. Um, and I would love to talk about that a little bit more later on too. But for the most part, I thought I could do good work. So I reached out and that was that. So the rest is history. The interviews went great and I signed. Oh, that's awesome. So it is, it is pretty much like a standard job. Like you see an application, you apply and you kind of go, go through the interview, the motions, sign the papers. It's pretty standard. I wasn't too sure if it's like, you know, because of the industry you're in, in the medical profession, if it's solely based off merit they're looking at you know they're going out and headhunting to build their team or not and then that i I guess that kind of brings me to the next statement like when they're interviewing you and they see you and and you're interested how much like i mean you were picked by you know three different places um at least and uh 
are they picking based off merit? Like, how are they? Uh, do you have references? Are they how much of your brand, I guess, ties in to the merit? Or is it just like, oh, let's look at his cases and how much we're successful. And we want that guy because he has so many successful cases kind of thing. Like how, what kind of goes into their decision making? If you know, if you ask. You know, this is this is the most interesting thing, and I, maybe this is where it differs from the average job market the most um, in the private realm. I'm I really want to specify the private realm because I can't at this point I can't even really speak to the public realm as much as I could before. It's been a while since I've been there, but um, oh, it's I feel like whenever there's a job posting. Yeah, okay, you got to look at your skills. You got to look at all that kind of stuff to see if this is going to be appropriate. You're going to be a good fit. And of course, when they see, when whoever's receiving your resume sees that resume, they're also going to assess whether or not you're a good fit. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, I think that it comes down to my ability to relate with human beings. <laughs> I think that it just comes down to like speaking candidly with someone, saying what you want and what you're looking for out of something and asking that person, and I'm referring to private practice managers here, asking those managers if you're a good fit, if you're a compliment, if you think that you can add to their team to advance everyone's best interest, your own as a private sole proprietor, but also them as a company, obviously looking to make money and help as many people as they possibly can. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. This is there. There's a lot more of a human. It sounds like there's a lot more of a brand and a human aspect to it than yes. I think I was anticipating, honestly, because it, be, being medical, I always think medical is like very data driven, science driven. They want to see numbers and only numbers. They don't care. They just need a robot doing the job. So it's, it's kind of cool to see that that factor like that brand factor kind of plays a big role in in the decision making yeah definitely definitely so getting into marketing like i know you and i talked about this before uh you said so every province has their own sort of uh governing body like the college of ot's right and you said there's it's highly regulated on what you can do marketing wise for both uh, a practice and an individual like so what are sort of those regulations like what things can't you do this is this is the grayest piece I think of of private practice. There's a lot of interesting pieces of private practice, but this I feel like is one of the more grayer pieces. Um, so what can I can can I and can't I do? I think the easiest way to say this and make this definition would be: I can't solicitate business, but. I can market. <laughs> so I can't tell someone, um, and we'll get into who those some people are in just a second, but I can't tell someone to give me referrals. I can't tell someone, um, you know, I'm the best person for this job. Um, so I think you should send mm. me your clients with these illnesses or whatever my way. I can't say that, but I can say, listen, I have extensive experience, the resume type stuff. I have extensive experience in this, this, and this. I have done training for these assessments. I can help you out with these kinds of referrals, but I can't ask for those referrals and I can't tell them that I'd be the best man for the job, essentially. Interesting. Yeah. So it's less sales, I guess, focused messaging and more fact-based messaging fact-based informational yeah. yeah exactly which is what all fucking marketing should be by the way <laughs> <laughs> show me the facts no that i mean and that makes sense and what's the reasoning behind that like how come how come they had to come in and say that that's how you had to market 
<laughs> I'm going to hold my tongue here, but a little bit. But uh, uh, essentially, once upon a time, there was a lot of shady business going on with uh, just different just different people trying to get referrals in different ways. And I can't really dive in too much about that. No. Um, I'm sure you could Google all that stuff if you want. But at the end of the day, you can only imagine like it's there's people telling lies, maybe being dishonest, uh, maybe bribing other people. Who knows what it happens to be? But at the end of the day, they pretty much said you can't coax people into giving you referrals and they made that that definition there but from their standpoint yes there's you know ethics involved in that and all all of that stuff uh benevolence non-benevolence whatever but at the end of the day they were just looking out for the clients because that's their job as a college they want to make sure that the ot or the professional is doing whatever they possibly can do for the client to give the client the best care possible so we don't want referral x going to joe blow because joe blow you know gave the manager some flowers or whatever they happen to be yeah um and then that client you know isn't in the best hands and they get poor treatment and maybe they get hurt in the end right Mm -hmm. so that's, That's kind of why they did the things they did. Yeah. And that makes sense because I mean, in the biz- business world, like, you know, that's, there's no rules on that, right? You can take a client out for the most expensive dinner, take them out to Jets games and stuff. And that happens all the time. It's nice to see that shit isn't happening in the medical industry where you actually, you know, it, it doesn't matter if this ad campaign flops. I don't want to die. So please exactly. make sure I'm getting the best person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly, that's exactly it. You you would like to hope that, you know, your doctor isn't going to send you to X specialist because they went out for dinner the other night, right? Yeah. <laughs> that makes yeah. perfect sense. So when it comes to marketing, do you market yourself? Like being a private contractor or a subcontractor, um, I, I guess technically what you are is your standalone entity that's, you know, like you said, like you're partnering up with other practices. So Therefore, you're you're almost running your own company through other companies. So do you ever do any marketing for Kale Latomsky? Like, or is it all through your practices? This is what I'm just starting up now. And with your help, funny enough. But <laughs> <laughs> they uh yeah, it's it got to a point, you know, with um uh, not so much with Apex, but more with Harmony, where uh, Apex would do a lot of work with insurance companies and insurance-based clients, or so referrals come through insurance companies and whatnot, right? Uh, whereas the Harmony side of things, uh, we have a lot more clients coming in the door. There's naturally foot traffic because we have a physical office. Uh, they're coming in there for massage therapy, chiropractic care, acupuncture, um, whatever it happens to be. And at the end of the day, they can walk past the occupational therapist's office and we have those services on hand for them. So you can imagine we're seeing a lot more independent clients rather than insurance-based third-party clients, right? So with uh, with that, I should say, of course, we have to do more marketing. Um, so the way I navigate marketing and make sure I don't cross the, the solicitation line, essentially, is I just deal with the clients one-on-one. Here's what I can do, client, uh, client so-and-so. Um, these are the things that your chiropractor is telling me you might need help with, and that could be physical or you know, emotion-related. Um, here's how I can help with my skill set. It's up to you whether you want to proceed or not. Just kind of leave it in their hands, right? Interesting. So it's, it's network-based. Network-based, I would say, yeah. Primarily, primarily. 
And and you said directly to the clients, because I know you work a lot with caseworkers to get new clients or caseworkers bring clients to you in what you just said. Like, are you working directly with the clients and not the caseworkers? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would say in harmony, like, you know, probably right now it's I mean, it's early, but we're probably looking at maybe like a 75, 25 split independent clients to insurance company based referrals. Gotcha. And how much of your conversation with clients and not caseworkers, because they clearly know what OT is, but how much with your conversation with clients do you have to first educate them on what OT is before you go into why you want to meet with them? Shameless plug here. That's why I offer free consultations. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that is the whole it's called promotion. <laughs> we're uh, we're not, you know, it's it's wild. Like um, we're not a known profession and yet in the public eye, sorry. Um, and yet, uh, and yet we can help with a thousand different issues. So mm -hmm. a lot of my job, because I feel like I'm more or less on the cutting edge of, of OT in my, in this, uh, in this particular role, uh, working with clients one-on-one -on -one who are just walking off the street essentially is not common in OT. It's more common for physio. It's more common for chiropractic, way less so for OT. So, um, yeah, kind of looping back to what we're talking about initially, it comes down to like talking to them and making sure they understand what OT is first, giving them a ton of information, uh, handouts and whatnot, so that they can make the best decision that they need to make based off of whatever they're going through. Do you see so. that's where the industry is going? Like uh, to move to getting away from caseworkers and having more clients come directly to you, like like chiropractic, like massage therapy? Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly where it's going to go eventually. I think it's really early, um, maybe in 20 years. Um, I'm hoping much sooner, <laughs> but uh, maybe in, you know, 15 to 20 years, I think we're going to see a pretty big shift of OTs having maybe more confidence to get out there and do some of the things that I'm doing. Cause it sounds like from talking with a lot of my colleagues and I'm biased because I'm in the private realm, right? And most of my, the people I talk with are in the public realm. Um, they don't feel confident enough to go out there and market and do business plans and, you know, do all the things that come along with owning your own business and running your own show. Right. Yeah. And how many do you think in Manitoba are doing what you're doing now? Mm. I would say for someone who's in my role, role partnered with a chiropractor who's seeing clients like on the forefront, having clients walk in their office and come to the, come to them. I'm the only one that I know of. Really? So far. Wow. Yeah. And that's why it was shocking to me too. When I talked with the college, um, there was a lot of, uh, they had a lot of questions for me because not only am I, am I new in this role in this weird dynamic harmony chiropractic, uh, subcontracted role. Uh, but now I'm also working for two companies simultaneously, two private companies simultaneously. And from their knowledge and their records, they actually told me that that's never been done in the last 25 years. I think really I think is what, uh, the rep said. Why? Why wouldn't other occupational therapists do that? You know what? I, the easy answer is, I don't know, <laughs> but if I'm stretching my, my brain and trying to, you know, connect dots where there, you know, there might not be connections. Um, I think it's confidence is one thing. I think, uh, you know, when someone settles in at a private company, it's it's demanding enough. It's, 
um, you know, it's scary enough, quote unquote, in that, you know, there's a lot of things to look out for. There's a lot of legal things you have to look out for. A lot of professional practice related things like you need to upkeep your your skills and whatnot. So there's a lot of like there's a lot of pressure, I think. So when mm-hmm. someone settles in at a company and they, you know, they they find things in that in that company that they do really well and that they're confident in, they don't usually want to find another company to put themselves through the same thing that they just learned and just went through, right? Yeah, they're comfortable. This is a good place to be. So I'm just going to hunker down and focus on this job. Like, I mean, that makes sense. And, and yeah, I guess in the if you think about it in terms of like, you know, the average Joe job, like a marketing job, you're, you're actually employed by a company. So it's mm-hmm. okay. I work for this company now. This is what I'm going to do. And I feel like that mentality is so common that when you get into your line of work, people are just ingrained with that mentality where it's yeah. like, okay, I mm-hmm. got this job now I'm employed by this guy. So I'm going to work for this guy. You don't consider yeah. the options of I'm going to work for this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and, yeah. and spreading that out. I think the confidence also comes through, like you said, like not to, you know, pat you on the back, but I think you have a lot more. It sounds like uh, from my lack of knowledge of the industry that you have more confidence than a lot of the other ones, uh, a lot of other OTs in the industry have specifically Mm -hmm. in this province. And uh, it sounds like that's what's kind of pushing for change in the industry and having more clients come directly to OTs. And that's like you said, Mm -hmm. like that's an uphill battle. Like you're going to have to fight a whole education piece first for people that don't even know what it is. And then to get them interested enough to then start that conversation with OTs. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's exactly it. And I. I too don't want to, you know, pat myself on the back too much because I'm also, like I said, I'm biased, man. I'm me. I'm like, I'm the only one that I know of in, in this, like doing something like this. So yeah, I'm going to talk about it, but I'm not going to, I'm going to try and stay humble here, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I keeps think, you grounded. It's all good. Exactly. It keeps me grounded. <laughs> I think that for the most part, um, when it, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, um, People are in general like they, they want to stick to the status quo. And that's me too, man. Like in any anything that I do, when I approach an, a new assessment or find a new therapeutic tool or whatever it happens to be, man, I want to stick with shit that I know. Like I like to I like what I know. I feel comfortable with what I know. And that's that's what I'm gonna do. So you extend that logic to any aspect of your life, and I feel like it really rings true for people who are in private practice or working in a job of any sort. They want to stay comfortable. Why branch out when you're comfortable, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so getting into branding, like you you just mentioned, like uh, you've been working a lot with your own marketing and your own branding. I know personally, like y- you and I have had conversations about your branding. So you've been doing a lot of like personal branding stuff lately. Like by doing that, what what kind of stuff have you realized or have you defined about yourself? Um, that I have no idea who I am. I'm mm-hmm. just kidding. I, it's hard to do. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's interesting i feel like all the uh, the tidbits and the pieces of advice that i was given from yourself and from um oh blogs and random different stuff that i've been looking at to try and help myself along here what it comes down to at the end of the day is just knowing yourself and and figuring out what it is that you do best and uh beyond skills beyond skills and experience and you know those things that you'd write on a resume you know what i mean yeah um so where that's led me is um, first it led me into meditation and uh, it, it allowed me to kind of settle my thoughts and be like, who do I want to be? 
How do I want to do this? Um, what do I need out of myself to take myself to where I want to go? And those are all really vague questions that through, in my opinion, meditation and through reading and through research and through et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these different things. Um, I know who I am and I know who I want to be and I know how I want to impact the world. Yeah. So how, what is that? What is that impact? How do you want to impact the world? I want to help people on a personal level and relate to them on, on a really personal level to answer some of their questions that they might have about themselves and they might have about their future. Um, uh, about themselves usually is my more mental health clients and about the future, I, I tend to see my more physical health clients as wanting to answer that question. Um, and what do I mean by that? Physical health issues, there's when someone has a chronic physical health issue or a sudden physical health issue. Oh, or an acute physical health issue. <laughs> that, there's tiny, that word again. A tiny one. That's what it means, guys. <laughs> it's a tiny one. Um, when they have these things pop up it changes their course of life and they have questions about who they're going to be when they get older are they going to be able to you know pick up their kids because of their back injury are they going to be able to retire as planned all these different things um so it's helping them answer like figure out who they want to be and answer those questions about what life looks like for them essentially that makes sense. And that's, and that's drilled down to your profession, which is, I mean, that's where you're focusing right now. Like you're trying to build your brand as an OT and you're leveraging that through harmony and, and, and apex and everything as well <clears throat> on a higher level on you as a person, Kayla Tomsky, mm-hmm. like, do you think that that rings true with who you are as a person and how you view life and everything else you do? 100%. Yeah. 100%. You know, um, if you would ask me this question, uh, you know, is who is the practice that I'm showing or sorry, is the practice that I'm engaging in and the company I'm working for and the job I'm working in are all those things mirroring my values and who am I and who I am, sorry, as a person. Uh, if you would ask me those questions back when I worked in the public health sector, I would have said no, uh, or I would have not known how to answer it, honestly. Um, but now that I'm in the private world and I've, uh, you know, I've effectively chosen what I want to do, how I want to do it, how I want to specialize, all those kinds of things like that. Um, it allowed me to, um, work, work in a way that I work so that I'm mirroring who I am. And I really, truly feel like apex and harmony allow me to do that in its entirety because I value work. I understand the impact of work. Um, we'll get into the client interactions in a second because I think that's important too. But um, I value work. I understand the value of work. I want to help people get back to work. Easy, said and done, right there. So if I can, if I know who I am and I want to help people fundamentally, but I want to help people get back to work, well, hell, Apex helps me do that, right? Um, harmony. Well, that's a little bit more broad. I feel like people have more personal concerns, not coming from an insurance company, but from their own personal life. They need questions that they would like answered and whatnot. Well, I can help you answer that because guess what? I'm a humanist. I'm a soul searcher. I'm an active reflector. I am self-aware. I understand self-awareness and I preach it. I want to help you do those things as well. If those are the questions that you need answered. And if those aren't the questions that you need answered, then how can I point you in the right direction? Because guess what? I give a shit about you, so-and-so, and I want you to have the best life. 
It's not about the paycheck, even though a paycheck keeps me afloat. Like it's not about the paycheck. I could be doing other things right now where the money's coming in a lot easier, but instead mm-hmm. I'm torturing myself with two private practice roles <laughs> and trying to figure out how to do this. But it's, it allows me to live the life that I want to live because that's who I am. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's great that you found a job. Well, first of all, it's great that you've defined that for yourself, which is that's the first hurdle. It's so hard to do. And it's something that I know you and I have had a lot of conversations on. Like I've been trying to look at for myself for a while. Like what's the Justin Latomsky brand, how to define that. And I've gotten a lot further um, than I ever was, you know, maybe five years ago kind of thing. Um, But then there's different levels. Like I interviewed somebody just recently. uh, Her name's Laura. She's an amazing person. She's defined her brand so clearly that she has for herself, her own like core values, her own pillars. And, uh, and when I asked her, I was like, so what's your brand? She's like, Oh, my core values are, and she listed her core values. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, it's amazing to know yourself and know what are the, the, key pillars that that ring true to you and hold up who you are that you can define those kinds of things that's a tough step Mm -hmm. so first congratulations on even defining that because that's a tough thing to do but then to find a company that's going to help you accomplish that that's a whole nother hurdle so that's that's amazing that Mm -hmm. you've been able to do that and that you feel confident in in your jobs right now to be able to be yourself and live your brand Mm mm-hmm Thank you. No, it's, and uh, you know, we've had these conversations a thousand and one times. I alluded to it before. Like I, I truly don't believe I could have gotten to this level working in one role in the hospital for the rest of my life. And this is why I keep telling the students that I interact with. Uh, I do a lot of work with the, uh, the outgoing students and they ask me time and time again, like, like where to go, like what to, where to apply, what to do, who to talk to, how to get a job, what jobs to get, what's the pay look like, all these different questions. And I'm like, like, don't worry about that. Like figure out who you are and what you want to do and the rest will fall into place. Because mm-hmm. even if you don't see those postings come up immediately, doesn't mean they're not going to come up forever, number one. But number two, even if those postings aren't out now, go talk to the places that you want to work for because of who you are, right? Start shaking hands and understanding the areas that you want to work in um, because that's what's going to get you there eventually. And it might even convince you that you don't want to be there at all. So mm-hmm. you might do something completely different. And that's important too. Yeah, no, I and I think that rings true beyond occupation, the th- occupational therapy. I think everybody needs to listen to that advice because it's it's so yeah. key in everyone's day to day life. Figure out who it is that you are and what it is you want to do and pursue that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, everything's just going to naturally fall into place once you sort of mm-hmm. make those pieces kind of click together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, mental illness because it's it is a, a big topic, especially nowadays. And it's interesting. Like it's there's so many different facets to it and so much stuff going on. Um, so and one of your focuses is mental illness. I, I, I can imagine COVID's been probably a pretty big spike with with clients coming in with mental illness, um, you know, questions, concerns or, or consults for you. Uh, I don't know if you can say, but like, what's sort of like the most common thing that you've been seeing since the start of COVID in terms of mental illness? Oh, hands down depression and anxiety through the roof, through the roof. Yeah. I would say right now, like I, I mean, 
I could say, you know, all mental health symptoms are probably exacerbated right now in my clients. Anyone who's struggling from with, you know, schizophrenia and, um, you know, psychotic episodes to, yeah, you know, I don't want to say common depression, anxiety, but they're a heck of a lot more common and and understandable than something like, you know, unipolar disorder, or, you know, bipolar two or whatever it happens to be, you know? So I would say right now, like it, all symptoms are probably exacerbated and pretty much every single one of my clients that I'm seeing, uh, but depression, anxiety in particular are through the roof right now. Yeah. And do you have uh, like tips, like what, what would be your like key sort of tips on how to manage those types of depression, anxiety through these like really, really tough times. And I don't know, like if anyone's listening that follows you on Instagram, I think you do a really good job in your stories to kind of post um, or share posts from, you know, different sources on, on mental health. Um, so what would you say would be like the key things that people should be considering um, when they're trying to manage their mental health in these really tough times? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, just given COVID right now, isolation, if you can do your best to mitigate this isolation, it doesn't mean that you got to breach the restrictions and whatnot and go see different people. But even just getting out of the house, man, going to get a coffee through the drive through or whatever it happens to be like do anything that allows you to get out and see people, see different environments, see pets, see dogs and cats and shit. Go outside. Like, go see a cold. dog. I get it. Do you, do you tell your clients that? I'm suffering, go man. Dog, I am man. really severely depressed. How about you go see a fucking kitten? <laughs> go to Humane Society right now and get your fix. No, it's wild to me, man. It's wild. Like, it, just because you have to socially isolate doesn't mean you have to stop seeing everything and everyone and different environments in your life. Yeah. Like you don't have to do that. So I think the easiest thing to do, like get out, experience different things, whether that's a freaking you know, five minute walk and the blistering cold, it's going to do wonders for you rather than sitting in on your couch watching Netflix or worse, sitting in bed with the covers over your head because what's the point of getting out of bed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I understand it's tough. It's tough for every single person out there. It's especially tough for those with pre-existing mental health conditions. But maintaining your status quo of unhealthiness is going to hurt you a hell of a lot more than going outside in minus 40 all bundled up for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. And I mean, I, I understand it so much because as far as I know, I don't have any pre existing mental health uh, conditions, <laughs> yeah. but since COVID, like it's, it's been tough. Like it's like, you know, I'll get these waves of especially like scrolling through Instagram and seeing like the what you did this time last year kind of thing, like those little mm -hmm. um, archive reminders and seeing like pictures of concerts or, you know, traveling and stuff like that. And then just getting this wave of, oh, my God, like when is there ever going to be a concert again? Like, could you imagine? Yeah. And and we watch regular shows now, like um, Impractical Jokers and and the stuff that they're doing on that show. You can't help but to think, oh, no, 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 no. You can't touch him. You can't do that. He's sneezing <laughs> on that guy. Oh, my God. Like, it's crazy yeah. what it does to your mind. And. And then it's just this wave of sadness and you're like, ah, oh, when is there going to be a concert? I miss concerts. I miss just going out and eating at a restaurant. I miss just hanging out with friends and, or, or like mindlessly blowing money 
and going out to Earl's for lunch or whatever with, with like colleagues and stuff. Like I just miss that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of gets you in the slump. And I started recognizing it and I'm like, man, I'm not, I don't have any depression that I, like I said, that I know of, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not depressed, but like this stuff was getting me like really down. So I couldn't even imagine people that have preexisting, um, mental health disorders, like how they're managing through that. Like that's difficult. Yeah. one thing that like I've been trying to do, like, especially when I've, I'm catching myself being like, oh, like you're getting too hung up on this is look for those positives. Um, I just did a post not too long ago on, on Instagram just for like a New Year's post. Um, but I think that the biggest positive that I've looked at the entire time was, OK, look at all of the benefits that came from this. I got to work from home and be with my family like nonstop. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was freaking exhausting a lot of the times but Mm -hmm. i would have never had that much time with my kids uh, especially like kiera on her first year of life like i would have never had that much time with her if i was if if covid wasn't a thing and i was going to the the office and and you know 10 hours away from from uh from the house right so it's like i'm missing Mm -hmm. so much of her life when now i'm downstairs in the basement i can just go upstairs say hi for a little bit and interact with her i don't have a commute and like a 30 minute to an hour long commute that i have to worry about i'm home immediately close the laptop go upstairs and i can i can hang out with my kids and like that i think is so amazing and that's probably the biggest positive for me that i've had to come back to and circle back to multiple times when those kinds of things get you know they weigh a little bit too heavy on mm-hmm. why there aren't concerts and i'm going out of my mind because i can't go to a restaurant well let's yeah. think about all these other benefits and i think that you know I, a lot of people i think are doing it but i think it's one of the top things that everyone should be keeping in mind right about now definitely Definitely not. And one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing from all of what you said there is gratitude. It's basic gratitude. It's understanding like, yeah, like times can be tough. This could, this is a shitty situation. No one's going to say this isn't a shitty situation. No one's going to disagree with you on that. But guess what? There's a ton of things that this did give us. You're right. I think clarity comes to mind more than anything. Um, family time. Yep. Understanding your limits, I think, is a nice big number three. Uh, understanding your limits and, and along with that, self-awareness. Um, mm-hmm. People found out what they're made of. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think that mental health rates are skyrocketing, skyrocketing a bit because people didn't obviously didn't know how to handle this because we never have before, sure. But they didn't know what they were capable of and they couldn't be alone with themselves. And that's a, in my opinion, from a, on a clinical standpoint, but obviously from a Kayla Tomsky personal standpoint, that's horrifying to me because if you can't, you know, isolate for two weeks and, you know, not see, or sorry, see everyone, you know, over video and uh, not leave your house uh, often, if ever, for only two weeks and you're falling apart, you got to take a good look in the mirror because times are going to get tough. And if you're not prepared to deal with them, whether they're, you know, prolonged, like what we're seeing now or acute, there's that word, then you have to understand, like you have to develop the skills necessary to manage those pieces of you that can otherwise get away from you. And I'm not talking about the people necessarily with pre-existing mental health conditions here, because they have other things in their life that probably happened far before this that are making their their go with COVID a lot worse and a lot harder than the average person. 
but I am talking about to the, I'm talking to the average citizen right now. If it's hard for you to do like, and I mean, brutally hard for you to do this, you're falling apart. You need to get a little bit of resilience in your blood. You need to figure out your coping skills. You need to understand who you are and how you're going to approach this in a more responsible way, I think. Mm-hmm. So what are some other like little tiny things that you could do throughout the day or throughout your life to kind of keep your mental health in check even throughout these hard times or even after mm-hmm. these hard times? Like I know you mentioned meditation is something that you do. Are there other like little things that you would suggest that that people should you know consider doing or options for them to consider doing? Totally. A a fine 18-year-old scotch is pretty good, I would say, overall. (laughs) No, it comes down to, honestly, um, besides like the the most obvious one of like, you know, get out of the house and, you know, be try to be as well as you can. uh, Try and get some sense of normalcy through all this, uh, all this stuff. Yeah, that's really important. I think that's something that everyone should do uh, well or unwell. Uh, But that also being said, I mean, Try to find some level, especially those of you working from home, which is pretty much everybody right now, like try and find some level of work-life balance, whether that is, you know, your, um, I don't know the living situations of everyone out there, of course, but I mean, if you're in a small environment, little one bedroom apartment, devote a four by four square in your apartment to workspace. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to sit in that space and you are going to work. Anything else that happens in that space is unacceptable, work only. And then your other four by four section of your little apartment, you're going to, that's where you're going to nap or you're going to chill or you're going to read a book or whatever it happens to be. That's your chill leisure space. Killer. Awesome. Um, if the next piece of your little apartment is where you're going to meal prep, hopefully the kitchen and, uh, <laughs> and listen to music and rock a meal prep on the can. <laughs> as you should every once in a while it's that's when you out. find out what you shouldn't eat so you can think through what you should eat in the future hey there you go i love that <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're doing like whatever you're doing devote a little space for it in wherever you are so that you can have a break from that space when that gets to be too much essentially um that's the easiest way use your environment the best you can Mm-hmm. Um, if we're isolating anyway and staying home, you got to use your environment. So use it the best you can. Um, and Justin, I mean, yeah, you mentioned meditation. I mentioned meditation. Le- <laughs> I don't want to say learn how to meditate because it's not for everyone. I get it. But, um, learn how to sit quietly then learn how to sit quietly and tune in to what's going on in your brain or what you're feeling in your body. And maybe you don't do anything with the information that you get from those quiet times now, but it'll help you try and figure out how you're doing uh, on the grand scheme of things. Um, If I'm noticing, I'm going to use meditation as an example because that's what I'm familiar with. But uh, if I'm sitting alone, meditating, eyes closed, you know, legs crossed, I do the whole thing. I sit on the ground with a pillow, all that stuff. If that's how I'm meditating and I'm noticing my mind is racing or it's racing with negative things or it's racing and I'm getting frustrated. I feel like I'm going to cry. I'm overwhelmed. That's my brain telling me I'm overwhelmed. So what are you going to do about it? Right. And the first step is always build that self-awareness, understand yourself. If that's all you can do right now, just to sit with those emotions and sit with those feelings. Amazing. You're one step ahead of where you were when you started five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And that's and how the long? craziest part. How long? How you long pe- should you do it for? Yeah. I think um, beginners start with five minutes. 
Start with five minutes, no more, no less. Break it off at five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, I would say bump that up as you can. But I'd say once you get to about 10 minutes, which is like usually a good, like 10 minutes, a 10 minute meditation is the common meditations found on YouTube and Calm app. And uh, um, I think it's a called head, Headspace is a, is a big one. Headspace is a big one. And I just yeah. noticed that uh, the Headspace has like a show on Netflix now. I don't know if you noticed that. I saw that. Yeah, it's I all haven't about, checked out like, the first episode, though. I haven't looked at it yet either. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see because it's now it means to me that meditation is now being brought into like the mainstream where I, I think probably mm. it started doing maybe a few years ago anyways. But the fact that there's a show on it on on Netflix now, I think, is is a good sign. And and like you said, like it may not be for everybody. So then just sit quietly. And I think that that's the fundamentals of it. Just sit quietly. Don't look at your phone. Don't turn on the TV. Don't get up to go grab a beer, whatever. Just just sit down. Just sit down. Mm -hmm. Eyes open. It doesn't matter. Just sit down and just like be with your thoughts and think and 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 do that. And and that's the fundamentals of it. And I think that a lot of people just need to do that. Just disconnect for five minutes and don't do anything. You mm-hmm. know how hard it is? It's funny because it's such a common answer. What'd you do this weekend? Ah, oh, nothing. Nobody does nothing. That's that's nobody the does that's nothing. the ridiculous yeah. part of that. As nobody does nothing. Everybody does something. Even if I'm just sitting on the couch playing with my phone, I'm doing something. It's very very hard for people to sit and do nothing, and mm-hmm. it's so beneficial. Like I'm a I'm a very pro meditator, and I know there maybe everyone listening won't be, but I think it's it's very beneficial if you just kind of take that time for yourself to just be in your mind and to understand what it is you're feeling and why you don't necessarily need to think about that. Just sit down quietly and it's going to come to you. I think exactly Um, like you said, like if your mind's racing, that's your sign. Right. And I think that that's, Mm -hmm. it's so beneficial for people to understand that and understand what's going on inside them. So they, they can Mm -hmm. be better prepared to how to manage everything outside of them. Exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. And it's one of the most like seemingly basic things that we will always overlook because as human beings, we're primed to do, to do, 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 go, 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 go. If I'm not being productive, I ain't shit, right? Like, and, and the reality of the day, or sorry, the reality of the matter is that is the biggest lie that we were probably told growing up in wherever we learned that from society as a whole, I would argue. Yeah. It's a lie. Sit down. It's okay to be quote unquote unproductive because you being quote unquote unproductive is actually being substantially more productive than you stressing out of your computer. Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. And it's, it's funny. It's, that's still the message though. Today is like, yeah. uh, there's a lot of like big time business players and stuff like that, that preach hustle, right? It's like, you got to mm-hmm. hustle, you got to work, you got to grind. It's like, and, and they have this yeah. message of you always, you have to do it. And it's, I look at everything with two sides and I feel like I, I'm, I, I feel like I've been fairly good to see both sides of every argument. Um, and I get it. Like, I get it. Like they're, what they're coming at is, you know, if you want what you want in life, if then you have to go after it. And if you love it, you should be grinding on it every single day so you can be, make sure that you can enjoy that life later, right? And yeah. and that's their message, and I get that, right? If, I, if, if what you do is half-ass your job, and then when 9 to 5 is done, you sit down and watch Netflix all day, you're not going to get to the level 
maybe that you want to be or to the level of having, you know, six figure salaries or more. Right. Mm -hmm. But that needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And I think that that's what a lot of people miss is. Yeah. yeah, It's cool that guys like, you know, Gary V is a big one and I love his message. I listen to his podcast and everything, but he has this very hustle hard, um, like mentality. And I think people Mm -hmm. overlook his other side, his other message of empathy and caring for yourself. And they hear this hustle hard and I'm, and it's scary to think that people are just sitting down and burning themselves out constantly and not taking that time to sit and, and be with themselves and and just calm and do nothing. Yeah. Okay. This is going to, Oh man, I just want to really give you an example. Cause I think this like just sums it up in a freaking heartbeat here. Um, but Oh man. So I had a client just recently. It's not unusual for return to work clients to feel, uh, mentally completely exhausted, drained, completely KO'd once they return to work after being, Um, I don't want to say unemployed, but being off work for an injury or illness for, you know, six months or something like that, three months, their body and mind are, uh, are deconditioned They're They have to get back in the workplace and flex those, those, uh, mental and physical muscles again. Um, and it's not unusual for, um, me to write into a return to work plan. Uh, in addition to having a couple extra breaks during a day to give your body a break, I want you to be mindful during those breaks and I love my physical health clients, especially my big, strong, burly construction worker, man's men. They're like, I ain't sitting down doing a meditation. Are you kidding me? Like, get that away from me. I'm like, okay, relax, relax and have an I open ain't no hippie here. piece of shit. <laughs> the fuck you talking about? Meditation. If one of my clients who I'm thinking of listens to this podcast, he's laughing hard right now. I can guarantee you. (laughs) He's like, oh, that's me. Yeah, it comes down to like sitting and just tuning into how you're feeling like physically and mentally. And one of my um, one of my clients recently just told me this, but I kid you not, Justin, this happens to me probably in the first two weeks of every single person's return to work plan, and I really mean that, every single person, they take their first few breaks at work, they've been through a few shifts, now they're, they've worked two weeks worth or whatever it happens to be, and they call me one day and they say, Kill, I'm exhausted. And I go, yeah, like physically, it's, you know, it's tough getting back to work, right? And they're like, yeah, but mentally I'm drained is what they say. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. Like it's, it's tough on your brain getting back to work for, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week after being out for so long. And then they say the thing that always just like warms my heart. And they're like, I'm so happy. I have a chance to think about how I'm doing. And I'm like, yep, yep. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the, we schedule in, we as practitioners, we write in those extra breaks so you have a chance to consider how you're doing. And if you're frustrated, overwhelmed, stressed out, all these things, well, guess what? That's going to impact your physical body. And when you go and do X, Y, and Z at work, you're going to be mentally drained while you're doing those things. And that transfers into being physically fatigued. And then you're going to be this big ball of crap by the end of the day. And you're going to be wondering what to do, right? So have those moments to give yourself a break, a physical break, but a mental break as well. It will take you way farther, way farther. What's your what's your take on things that are deemed to be negative, but could have a potential mini boost or short term boost of like, you know, what is it called? Serotonin. 
Like, mm-hmm. uh, is that what, mm-hmm. is that what your endorphins? Yeah. Yeah. Endorphins, um, yeah. yeah. So like things like, you know, whether it's like weed or alcohol or screen time, like mm-hmm. those things are now very much deemed to be all oh, like those. You can't, you know, you can't spend all your time doing all that kind of stuff, it, you know, mm-hmm. but what's your take on, on using them for a little bit of a, of, of a rush? Is that an absolute no? Is it a yes? Like, and how do you know when it's being too much? I heard something on the Joe Rogan podcast, funny enough, um, by a guy who, uh, he didn't specialize in, you know, uh, psychology or anything like that. His name was Graham, uh, Graham Hancock. And he's, uh, actually he's one of my favorite guests he's ever had, but he said something that rung true to me about cannabis. Um, and he said, uh, obviously, you know, Joe Rogan's a big advocate of cannabis yep. and, uh, Graham said, uh, Graham said he is a big advocate now as well. And he said, it's never the substance. It's your relationship with the substance. And I would explain that to apps or I would explore that and expand that to absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. It's your relationship with reading that ma- are you, what are you reading for to learn knowledge or to look like you're a smart person, right? Like, are you on the computer because, um, you want to online shop and watch porn all day, or do you want to interact with your, your best friends and make some music, uh, like I do on a recording program or record a podcast as we're doing right now? Like what is your relationship with technology? What is it with alcohol? What is it with cannabis? What is it with exercise? What is it with food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all those things like, and here's maybe my most controversial piece of me. I believe that human beings should be in charge of, everything when it comes down to what they put in their body or what they put in their brain. I think that you should, if you want to like, if you want to go out and, um, uh, smoke crack and, uh, have a drink and party with your friends and vomit on the street, you know what? That's your priority. That's, or sorry, that's your prerogative. You can do whatever you want to do. There's consequences to those actions. There's consequences on your physical body, your mind and social consequences like being arrested and getting in trouble but you're an adult. You can make those choices if you want to make those choices. So what do I think? Well, I'm not going to tell anybody to, you know, do something or not do something. That's up to you. But what I really do think and what I really am telling people to do is understand your relationship with those things. It's completely fine, man. If you want to come home and, you know, have a drink, maybe have a couple drinks. Are you going to do that every night? Well, if you're, if you're going to do that, then is that okay with you? Is it limiting you? Is it hurting your liver and kidneys? Like what is it doing for you? Mm-hmm. And that's, this is kind of goes back full circle. Sit with yourself and ask yourself those questions. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you really uncomfortable and dissatisfied with your life? And that's why you're using those things. Well, let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. Right. And if that's not, and you just like to have fun, that's how you have fun and unwind and it's not hurting anyone or anything. Well, then maybe you're okay doing those things, right? But those answers are going to change for every single person, which is why you should take time every day to sit down and do a check-in with yourself. How you doing? What are you doing? What helped you? What hurt you? Et cetera, et cetera. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. No, I, and I think that's really important for people to have that self-assessment on what it is they're doing and why I, I think a lot of people don't. And I know at my last job or a couple jobs ago, um, it was really stressful for me. And that's when I was noticing I was coming home and, you know, and I was indulging in a little bit of the THC 
every night. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Every single night I'd come home and of that course. would be the dependent yeah. where I'm like, ah, it's too stressful. I just got to do a little bit of this, take the edge off and then just be chill for the night. And that's when I realized, do I need to do it every night? Like that, I had to take that step back and say, there's something up if I'm going to it every night. And and yeah, part of it was around that time it, it became legal in, uh, in Canada. So it was available. So the novelty was there. So that kind of played a factor, but the fact that mm. I was coming home stressed and, and looking forward to doing it every night, just to shut my brain off and sit like mush mm. on the couch. I was like, yeah, something's a little bit yeah. off with my day to day and I shouldn't be relying on it as much as I am. And I think a lot of people are missing that step, right? They look too much yeah. at those, those, like we said, those quick boosts of endorphins where they're like, yeah, but it's making me feel good. So I'm just going to keep going with it. And that's where you got to step back and take that deeper look at it. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I like that philosophy exactly a lot. It. Like, uh, like it's, it's what your relationship is with it. And I like the idea that it's, yeah, it's everything. It's your phone. It's your computer yeah. and everything. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I want to wait just before you proceed, Justin, just before you proceed and a good segue to our conversation. Ooh, (laughs) he smoked the mic in the whole process. (laughs) I totally did do it, Pete. (laughs) But that's what compressors are for, for 18 year old scotch. (laughs) That's exactly it. (laughs) Um, so we're, we're sitting at an hour and 14 minutes already. Um, so I want to quickly jump into sort of the last thing I want to pick your brain on is because I know you very well and and you and I had played in bands before as as well. Music's a big part of your life. You're currently playing in another band, um, North by South, which coincidentally does the theme song for this podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, no problem. Um, <laughs> I wrote it specifically so, for you, too. You know that, right? What's that? I wrote it specifically for yeah, you, too. I know. That's why it's called. <laughs> it's called Justin's Song. um so how much does uh, do you ever like recommend with your clients music therapy at all like do you rope in music or is it sort of more of a um, a broad or vague kind of statement that you'd work with them as what do you like is it music do you do this or like because i know music Mm -hmm. therapy is a a pretty big Mm -hmm. thing like do you ever talk about that with your clients um I, to be like, there's such a thing as like, uh, obviously like registered music therapist. So I definitely wouldn't call myself a music therapist. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist. Uh, but I would say I use music as a treatment modality. I wouldn't necessarily use music therapy. Uh, so what that means to me, and I mean, you can do your reading about what music therapy is and how that differs from using music as a treatment modality. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but how I use it. Um, is usually through song lyrics, honestly. Um, I have a lot of young people. I shouldn't even say young people. I just have a lot of people on my caseload who, you know, they'll come in wearing headphones or they'll be talking to me about what they heard on the radio or what they're listening to. And a lot of the times, if I'm establishing a relationship with somebody, I'll probably use music, movies, you know, like entertainment things as a topic of conversation um, uh, just to kind of stimulate things. But therapeutically, I find that my clients who are really like their music buffs, we talk about like what song lyrics speak to them, what they maybe listen to this weekend, um, uh, kind of more in depth. If they're having like a suicidal episode or like a self-harm episode or something like that, 
we'll talk about like what they're listening to you know before after during some of that and i've gotten some really interesting responses on that stuff um just any any way music fits into their life as a way to stimulate conversation uh build rapport for sure and to better understand one another i was going to say better understand my client but they even learn about me when we talk about that stuff too. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I, I use it therapeutically, but I don't do music ther- therapy. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really, really interesting. It's like you're using it for relationship building and I guess, yeah, like you said, therapeutically for them. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, like knowing that you're having these conversations with real people, real clients, when you're writing your own stuff, like with through North by South or even back in the day when like when we were writing stuff for our band, like were you ever are are you cognizant of that when you're writing lyrics, when you're putting stuff together? Are you thinking of the end user and and how it could affect people with mental illness or could be suffering from a certain situation in their life? hundred percent. And we've had this, you and I've had this conversation a lot about how we song write. And honestly, like for me, it starts with an emotion. Um, I get a feeling inside of me, you name that emotion, whatever it happens to be. And then I try and figure out words to convey that emotion. Excuse me. And then I ultimately want to see, and what my goal is anyway, is to give to the reader, uh, sorry, <laughs> give to the uh, listener that kind of emotion as well. I want them to understand what I'm feeling to hopefully make them feel that to some degree. Mm-hmm. I, I've i said it once, I said I think I said it once live as we were playing a show, uh, and I'll say it again here. Um, I think the darkest song I probably ever wrote was a song called Let Me Go, and it was off of our North by South uh, first official album, studio album um, called Renewal, and it was... It's dark, man. It tells a story of your someone's journey through self-harm and suicide. Um, it also, thankfully, touches also a little bit on recovery through that song as well. But for the most part, it is about self-harm and suicide. Let me go means, you know, let me go, right? Mm-hmm. So where does that come from? Did I feel that emotion myself? Yeah, I did feel that emotion myself. Uh, was it at the time that I wrote that song? No, it wasn't. It was from some journals that I wrote um, years ago. And um, I want to dig into that emotion to get to get grungy, to get to get bitter, to get angry, to get scared, to get hopeless uh, so I can make that come out. And the reason why I want to do all that was actually uh, spurred because of 13 Reasons Why. I watched oh, yeah. the first season and it was just a punch in the face, man. <laughs> and uh, I was like, how can I give this emotion in song form? So I just went for it and I wrote that. That's fantastic. So for the band itself, like from the music that you and I used to create and the music that you're creating right now with North by South, like it's it's different to a degree. Like it's it's I mean, it's your vocals on both. So to that end, it's sort of similar, but it's it's a lot more impactful. I find a lot more um, almost I, I don't want to label it as pop inspired, but a lot more pop inspired than, than the stuff mm-hmm. that we used to do. Like when mm-hmm. you're coming up with a brand, because this is a branding podcast and we may have gotten off topic a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're coming up with a brand for, for North by South, like, first of all, like how did the name even come up? Oh man. Yeah. That was, uh, it was kind of two, um, completely different directions that merged. Uh, north by south north meaning has nothing to do with direction necessarily it's it's more like feel like i was 
Adrian and I are very, very similar. Sorry, Adrian and I were the first two members of North by South. Adrian, Adrian Bentley, quote unquote, Swar was Bentley was his rap name, Bentley Swar. Um, and uh, myself, he came from the rap world. I came from like the death metal rock, you know, you know it, the waste of bride world, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at the end Don't of the day, it's like, shit. <laughs> please don't listen to it you can't find it anyway if you wanted to so whatever <laughs> but at the end of the day we wanted to say something as our name that showed the melding of our two genres so we came up with north by south mm-hmm. oh that's excellent yeah. and then when you're thinking about the brand itself um mm-hmm. are you it's tough with music because here's here's my here's why i love thinking about branding in in the music world because in the music world it seems so if you're in a certain genre you have to look and do a certain thing how and and for you guys i don't know if it's as obvious of what genre you you're in like yes i I feel like you could probably say maybe pop or rock like it's going to be one or the other kind of thing but really the stuff you put out is is all over and it could be anything really Mm-hmm. knowing that you're not in a certain genre so you're not having to wear you know if you're rock you're not wearing like the skinny jeans and ripped you know and you know fucking wallet chains and all that kind of stuff but you're <laughs> but you're yeah. not pops so you're not wearing whatever you know top 40s musicians are wearing like when you're thinking about brand for from a north by self standpoint where do you come at it like are you looking at just who you are naturally or like how do you even approach that who we are naturally and honestly, Justin, you're going to see this um, and the, you know, anyone who follows us is going to see this heavily on the next uh, songs that we release. We, we initially started out and I was heavily influenced by rock. I want to look like a rock artist who is pairing with a rap artist who looks like a rap artist. So when you came to our first shows, I was the one in like the lovers are lunatics gear I was the one with the ripped denim jacket. I was, and Adrian was a dude with a ball cap and the, and the t-shirt and, and, uh, I was going to say saggy jeans, but he'd kill me for saying that. So (laughs) Um, he can't wear saggy jeans. The guy's nine feet tall. Everything's fucking short on. (laughs) He's actually just pulling things up. So actually he's the opposite of that. His ankles are continually (laughs) exposed. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's the opposite of the rap it's like this guy's ass cracks always showing this guy's ankles are always showing <laughs> <laughs> oh my mic is peaking so bad Whoops. there we go okay but at the end of the day we wanted to we wanted to look the parts quote unquote uh, exactly what you said like we want to look the genres so we we adhered to those and the funniest thing happened about Probably it started about eight months, nine months ago, and it really took off this summer when there was some big life changes for me. And I did some soul searching and I did some reflecting and I realized that I don't care anymore. Like, I don't I don't care about like wanting to do this certain genre of music because it, you know, it's going to get clicks. It's going to get likes. It's going to get whatever. I don't care about um, looking a certain way. I don't care about putting out an album cover that uh, that mirrors what the song is about. I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever I think is best because it's how I feel at that time. And all of that stuff ends up being like um, a chronology and anthology of my life in the end. So I want that to look like my life. So the brand of North by South initially was 
you know, let's look the part. Let's, you know, adhere to status quo. And I think people are going to realize, especially when they see the new stuff that comes out in probably about a month, like 30 days. Um, by the time the, by the time this episode airs, it, it'll be out by then. So I would say oh, okay. if anyone's listening yeah. to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to launch this like as soon as possible. But I'm thinking that this is this whole podcast is going to launch sometime in the spring. So if you're listening to it, go check it out. If you haven't checked it out, I mean, I mean, I've I've had this privilege of hearing sneak peeks along the way and it's amazing stuff. So really go check it out as soon as it as soon as you can. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But yeah, it's, it looks way, way different. It looks way different. It sounds way different. It feels way different. You're not focused anymore on, um, and I would say this is a metaphor for life. You're not focused on the specifics anymore. You're not focused on getting that recording just right. Or, you know, that, that vocal take just right. There's some raw, like fundamental beauty in it again, in my opinion. And that kind of stuff translates into our personality our merch is going to look different it's going to look funnier it's going to look quirkier it's going to look cuter like there's yeah. just stuff that we want to do that we haven't explored yet that all bets are off from here on forwards and that is our brand it's be real be honest and don't be scared do whatever the fuck you think feels right i mean i think you hit the nail on the head for both the brand for north by self and your brand as a professional occupational therapist uh, occupational therapist is it has to be authentic. And I think that that rings true with every brand that ever is successful in the industry is if you're not being authentic, people will sense that it's not authentic and they won't buy into it. And, yeah. and when people buy into a brand, they're not buying in with their wallet, they're buying in with their heart. And, exactly. and that's why the authenticity is so important. So no, that's good to hear. I'm excited to see what, what you guys come back with. I'm excited for COVID to go away so we can be at shows again. Um, I'm look I'm looking forward to it. I'm, yeah. I'm Caden's a big fan now, my kid. So he's going to be up on stage, hopefully <laughs> and singing with, you guys oh so, yeah, yeah you will be no it'll nah, be you know i use wireless man i'm gonna come out into the crowd and grab him <laughs> <laughs> he'll cry <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i really gotta take a leak so we should probably wrap it up so getting back into oh. occupational therapy the majority of this conversation. Um, where do you see the future of OT going? I know you and I, uh, like we talked in, in this podcast so far about, um, you know, having that client interaction rather than caseworker interaction. And, and you mentioned moving the industry forward that you wanted to move the industry forward. Like, where do you see that going? I think it's, um, uh, you know, I would like to say it's going to, you know, transition more into a private practice type uh, dynamic in the future where, you know, an independent OT meets an independent client and they, you know, they have a relationship and that's that. And then whatever outcomes are, are met, they're met. But I don't know. That's me. I think, you know, being a little bit biased and loving private practice so much. Um, I think more realistically where it's going to end up going is uh, OTs are going to end up, I would hope anyway, uh, kind of experimenting a lot more, job jumping a lot more. I think that's our generation as a whole. But I do think that there's going to be more, uh, th sorry, there's going to be less hesitation to do a lot of those things. And as a result, you're going to see people taking more and more risks. Uh, does that mean they end up, you know, transitioning to private practice, which in my opinion is riskier than public practice? Maybe. Um, but I think more so it's going to be OTs that are stretching their brains a little bit more to see what else they can do, how else they can help, and how else they can help people move forward, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. And what are you mm -hmm. doing to play sort of your role in all of that? Uh, working 47 jobs, I would say. Yeah, but no <laughs> shit. Constantly tired. 
constantly tired. <laughs> I think for me, um, and the, the big piece for me is to um, uh, strongly and firmly ground occupational therapists and establish occupational therapists in this one-on-one, like forefront of care, pay out of pocket type field. Mm-hmm. I don't see it with the skills that we have and the ways that we can help our clients through everything from like musculoskeletal rehabilitation to like dialectical behavioral therapy and ergonomics and functional capacity and all these everything. We have the skills. We can be out on the front, out on the front lines, helping people who will definitely pay for our services because they have needs that can only be met by us. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do my absolute best to firmly root us in this new practice area, in my opinion, new practice area, um, to help as many people as I possibly can and to show people what this profession is. That's exciting. And that's awesome. That's good to hear. Well, thank you, man. Thank you so much for uh, doing this whole thing. Um, how about yeah, you tell the people? You for me. Yeah. Um, how about you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, easily find me on Instagram at Kale Lutomsky, K-A-L-E-L-U-T-O-M-S-K-Y. It's a mouthful. I'm sorry, but at <laughs> Kale Lutomsky on Instagram, I'm posting day and night, baby. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And all your contact information will be in the description of this episode. So you can always check that out as well. So right on, man. Thank all you right. so much. Hang no on. Problem. You hang My on pleasure. the line because we'll chat a little bit. I just got to run to the washroom though. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Take it easy. All right, everybody. That does it for this week's episode. Make sure to keep your eyes up for new episodes coming out bi-weekly. Also, guys, if you like what you hear, we would love your support. Please give us a like and go follow or subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And please spread the word on social media. Share this podcast, snap a picture of it, post it, whatever. Just tag us in it on every social media platform you can. And for all the latest updates, behind-the-scenes footage, and sneak peeks at future episodes, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the B-Side Brands. And finally, if you want to be on the show or you know someone else that has a badass B-Side brand to talk about, send us an email and we'll set it all up. That's all from us today. Here's our theme song, Ghosts, by North by South. Take it easy, guys. Oh, yeah.